Support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from our friends at Bold Apps. Unofficial Shopify podcast listeners might like to try Bold Apps Store Locator. Despite what the name says, I've used Store Locator as a beautiful and simple way to display all of the dealers who may sell your product. Of course, if you have multiple stores, it's perfect for that too. Plus, in the admin, you can see everywhere people search for you, so you know where people want you to be. If you'd like to try it, Bold is offering unofficial Shopify podcast listeners an extended trial by going to websiterescues.com slash bold. If you go to websiterescues.com slash bold, you can get started today. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, agency owner, EthCycle, author, e-commerce bootcamp. Uh, I do, do a variety of things. Um, and today... I'm doing, uh, you know, I love doing the these podcasts where I interview store owners. Those really are the most fun. I try to balance it between store owners and just and my friends, and then those are the e-commerce professional episodes. Today, I got someone who's a store owner, and it's a really fun store in not the way you'd expect. And I think what really a good illustration of that is their about page, which is called the kind of about us, has a block quote on it, and a lot of people will have like block quotes of testimonials press uh, from customers or press quotes. This has one fantastic quote, and I'm going to read it to you right now. Quote, most of your patches are frankly just immature. Lastly, I don't know what you're trying to accomplish and fully don't understand your business philosophy. In any case, it does not match mine at all. So joining me today from Las Vegas on vacation is Jan Root from Violent Little Machine Shop. How's it going? Very good. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. So tell me, uh, tell me, what is a violent little machine shop? You know, I never really know how to answer that question. I, uh, I often just say we make a bunch of bullshit because, uh, you know, kind of we don't take ourselves too seriously, and our products don't change the world for the most part. So I think that's just a good way to to disarm everybody and, and ourselves and kind of keep it in perspective. Um, but we make patches for the military, the tactical community, and law enforcement. And these are called uh, morale patches, right? Yes. And a morale patch is really, as far as I understand, and I'm not, not law enforcement or military or anything, but the the morale patches are, are fascinating, and they're just kind of like, uh, what's a good word? They're flair their flair for your bag or your your jacket, whatever. Yeah, so most people's gear in this industry has uh, loop Velcro on it. Um, so whether it's on your, you know, a sweater or like a bulletproof vest or your bag, uh, there's always a, a spot to put, you know, an identifier there, whether that's like your unit number or, you know, your platoon or your squad or like whatever. And it just kind of evolved into this other thing where people recognize that, you could put, you know, other things than the identifiers on there. So you could have like funny sayings and movie quotes, and it's just kind of developed into this artistic, um, really funny little subspace. And uh, it was a niche that we just kind of fell into by accident and realized it was um, it was actually a really good fit for us. And or you know, it was just me at the beginning. Um, a so- really good fit for me kind of my personality and uh and we just kind of took it off from there when you started what uh where were you how long ago did you start violent little machine shop so we just had our three-year anniversary congratulations and thank you 
and I was in Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, where we still are. <clears throat> and I, uh, I kind of started Violent Little as um, out of necessity. I, I was involved with a with a different partnership uh, with a buddy from college, and unfortunately, the partnership soured, and uh, and he kind of made my life difficult. Uh, trying to kind of keep that business going because he was trying to push me out. You know, that's uh, not an uncommon story. And I don't want people – like having business partners can be really great. And I've had um, multiple business partners at different businesses. And yeah, like that – what you're saying it has happened to a lot of people. Uh, it's happened to me. But it's still – it could be helpful to have that that other person. Right. I mean we – I don't think we had – you know, we were such good friends that I don't think we really had this, the framework in place. Um, and you're like, oh, we're good friends. Like, we're going to continue to be good friends and it'll be great. And like, you know, we'll figure it out if it, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just figure it out later sort of thing. And you end up, <laughs> you end up pushing that to the, to the back burner. And, you know, it's different when you struggle. So that business kind of struggled for so long and we finally ended up hitting some success. Uh, and as soon as we kind of started to experience some success, uh, that's when, you know, he tried to just kind of take it for himself. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard like what will usually blow up a business partnership. You know, number one is not having not having everything really spelled out, um, you know, because it it's like, well, we're, we're best buds. We don't need contracts until you have a dispute and then you wish you had the contract uh, <laughs> that spells out how to tackle that dispute. Um, but, yeah, it's either like. You know, no one before it's profitable. No one wants to put in the like. There's always one guy who doesn't want to put in enough effort, and then once it's profitable, then that guy wants to either take it for himself or just expects to get paid. Yeah, well, you know, well, it's funny. I've lost two best friends uh, over over this sort of like partnership concept, and I've kind of sworn to myself, I'm like, never again will I ever do a partnership. Um, and and kind of control my own destiny. Now, you know, never say never, right? Um, yeah. Under the right under the right circumstances, you know, I possibly could again. But it's real nice having Violent Little Machine Shop uh, all to myself. I get to move really fast. Um, there isn't some committee I have to be mindful of and run my decisions past. It's you know, it's basically just me. Yeah, it's a and, uh, a partnership. Well, I mean, it's very much like a sexless marriage. And oftentimes, you know, like in a small business. You've got the sexless marriage and it's very much, it's like polygamy because you got like your partner and then like your partner's wife, you know, is also now in his ear. Like in, that's kind of where, where things go off the rails. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Partner's wives being like, Hey, this guy, you know, you deserve so much more. You're working so much more harder, you know, yeah. so much harder <laughs> than this guy, you know, and, and, and I've been yeah. on the receiving end of that too. Um, thankfully, thankfully, I haven't had to really deal with with that, but I've seen it with some other friends that have some some businesses, and uh, and that's that's the classic wives uh, wives tale, I guess. Yeah. All right. So you've got you've got Violet and Little Machine Shop. How did you start it? Um, well, again, kind of out of necessity, the partnership had soured, and I realized my destiny was not in my own hands, and I was kind of subject. Um, to this other person who was trying to make it difficult. And I just decided to start a new company and new products and a new brand and, um, and just move forward from there. It was slow going at first. Uh, 
you know, when you don't have an email list or an Instagram following or, you know, everything that we have now that we use to market. Um, and we just kind of had to, we had to grind it out. I owned, or, or I bought a laser, a laser cutter slash engraver. And these are really versatile machines. Like a, um, like an epilogue? Exactly. I okay. do have an epilogue. And I bought it knowing, well, so let me back up. So I wasn't really a technical guy. I didn't know how to design products. I didn't know how to make them. I had a I had a general background because my partner in my old business um, was a CNC machinist, which is and, it's helpful. Uh, yeah, so you know, I I got to kind of look over his shoulder and see you know the process of making things. I mean, I I had come up with some really good ideas for products that we ended up making. Um, we were the first ones to market with a. Uh, a GoPro, like so, GoPro was pretty new back then, and uh, we designed and invented the GoPro Picatinny mount for an AR-15 rifle. Um, oh so no the, shit! So the rail system that is on a rifle, uh, it lets you slide a mount over it, and then you clip on your GoPro, and you can either face it towards your target or turn the camera around and get some cool shots of you shooting. So uh, that that ended up you know, almost becoming our main business basically. Um, but anyways, I, I had seen how, you know, the development process through a number of these products that we had made and I was like, Hey, I can do this. So I ended up going to, um, California to tech shop. Uh, have you heard of these makerspaces? I'm familiar. Makerspaces, uh, are cool. I'm not familiar with tech shop. Um, there's a couple, yeah. there's like pumping station one in Chicago and, uh, a really cool one in Milwaukee, and now the name escapes me. But yeah, no, they're they're great places. Yeah, so I basically went to a, a tech or went to tech shop in California. There's like three of them located. You know, there was one in like Silicon Valley or Palo Alto. You know, one in um, San Jose, and then one in San Francisco. And I ended up bouncing around between these three for like a month, taking all the classes that I could. So like, you know, took classes on CAD and CAM and CNCing and. Uh, you know, pl plasma cutting and, you know, routing and, you know, hand tools and 3D printing and lasering. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, to kind of give myself a better background of how to make stuff. So your goal was to do, you said you said, hey, I'm not like end to end. I'm going to design and manufacture this stuff entirely myself. Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, I kind of knew from from my previous business that you need to be able to, to you know, operate in CAD and be able to, you know, get prototypes made and be, you know, even if you're not machining this stuff yourself, it gives you a really good background to talk to machinists to get quotes and you know what you're talking about. So, you know, you're going to get, you're going to be able to recognize what a, you know, a good machinist as well as uh, be able to get a, a quote that you, um, you know, that's going to work for you, hopefully. Yeah, that makes a so, ton of sense. We had a guy yeah. who did, uh, on before who works with, uh, like people to get their Kickstarter products going. He's a product designer. And his mm -hmm. advice was, hey, see if you can learn a little bit of CAD because it will make it that much easier. Yeah, it was a, it's definitely a great skill. And I, and so I bought a 3D printer and I bought a laser. Um, and actually my first, what kind of, you know what? I, I actually want to get into 3D printing. What kind of 3D printer did you buy? I bought a MakerBot 2. Okay. I don't know. They, they probably have like, they're probably up to the MakerBot 8 right now or whatever. <laughs> Um, and I actually don't even use it that much anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, I, well, so my first four products that I made, 
Um, so I had a friend who, you know, who has a well-established company. Um, they actually designed the products for me and machined them. And this was before I had even gone to a uh, tech shop. So I had all these products that I brought to tech shop and I had them anodized. They were aluminum products and I had them anodized and I started laser engraving my logo on the back of them using tech shops laser. And when I kind of got familiar with the laser, I decided to buy my own because I was like, okay, I'm going to need a laser to 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 um, to engrave my logo into all of our products. But I know the laser is capable of so much more. Like it can, you know, there's basically a hundred different materials that it can do stuff on, and the projects are endless. And I I just knew I was like, you know, we'll fig I'll figure out something else that I can do with it. And a laser is uh, what like five to ten grand. Uh. My, I, I actually took a pretty big chance. My, I, I got a big one that I could kind of grow into, and uh, but I wanted something that I, you know, that was production quality that that could run, you, you know, that could run production runs if I needed it to. Um, I just wanted to have the options, so it was kind of, you know, it was kind of nerve wracking. It was, you know, it's a big piece of equipment to buy, you know, especially when you don't really have cash coming in the door. It's a huge but, capital investment. Yeah. And, uh, it ended up, or, you know, a few months later I had a, one of my Navy SEAL buddies was visiting me and they were going, uh, to South America. And so he had this art and he was like, Hey, do you think we could like make a patch on leather? And I was like, yeah, we could, we could try. And, and we messed around with the art for a couple hours and, uh, got it just right. And, you know, cut a patch out on leather. Um, cause the laser burns into the leather okay. and then all all you have to do is so, you know, and, and it cuts it out. It cuts out the shape that you want. So it was basically, it looked like a playing card of leather. Um, and it had this really cool kind of day of the dead type of, uh, type of art on it. Um, that was specific, you know, for their seal platoon. And, um, and he emailed a photo out to his platoon of, of the patch and was like, Hey, does anybody want any of these? You know, they're, eight bucks a piece. And within like an hour, I had like a thousand bucks worth of orders. Whoa. And I was, and I was just like, huh, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, and at that time you already, you were selling the GoPro mounts. Well, I was kind of out of that business. Um, that, cause that was my separate business with my, okay. with my partner. So this new one, we had, you know, a few new <clears throat> for my little, we had a few new aluminum products, and so, uh, but they weren't selling very well. Um, you know, it was kind of slow going. It was hard. I had to, I had to kind of scrape and scrounge for every little inch of ground that I was able to get. Um, they didn't fly off the shelves. And is this stuff like your, uh, like your, the Valhalla custom gun rail? No. Um, this stuff is like the Picatinny rail bracelet, the Picatinny rail belt, okay. um, the trigger necklace. And then we had like a Picatinny bottle opener. Um, so just kind of knickknack stuff that's like 20 to $30 and, um, you know, that I thought were really cool. And, and we actually, you know, we did end up selling out of them, but it just took a lot longer. But when I saw kind of how quick the patch process was, uh, it, it just kind of opened my eyes and I made the pivot and, um, you know, three years later, we're one of the market leaders for patches. Yeah. It's like a couple, um, so I had worked on the store uh, with you before and it, it would surprise me how many people you know when i 
because people say, oh, what are you working on? I go, oh, I'm working on the shop, vinyl, little they sell more patches. And I was amazed at how many people were like, oh, yeah, I, I love that store. And it's, there's like, there's, I want to get patches from them or I've got this patch. And it, because of Instagram, like a lot of, so I always felt when people, you know, come up with that stuff, it always fascinates me. So I'm like, oh, how'd you hear about them? And every time it was Instagram. Oh, cool. Yeah, we've got about, you know, it's not an insane Instagram, but it's, uh, you know, we got like 52,000 people. And uh, <clears throat> that's certainly nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's interesting because Instagram recently changed their their algorithm and hardly, you, you know, they kind of did the Facebook thing where it was oh, like you no. had to pay, you had to pay to reach your audience now. And, um, you know, so like I've my latest post, it's one of the patches that we launched today. You know, it's only got 288 likes, which whereas before the before the algorithm changed, we probably would have had, you know, a thousand or two. And, uh, you know, you'd think and I spent so much time building that Instagram. I mean, it, it's been a fantastic marketing vehicle for us. But when they made their algorithm change, I almost didn't even care because the whole time, um, you know, I think I heard it on Pat Flynn or, you know, the Pat Flynn podcast or, yeah, smart you know, passive one, income. yeah, one of these podcasts that, um, you know, focus on the hub, not the spokes so that when one of the spokes breaks, uh, you know, your business doesn't break with it. So, you know, what that means to me is, you know, Instagram was great and I was happy to ride the wave as long as it made sense to and it still makes sense. Like I'm still getting, you know, we still, we still move quite a bit through it. Um, and then the promotional posts that you can pay to like promote your posts, those work, but you know, the free ride is over, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're so, right. A few years ago, it wasn't that long ago that Facebook was like, Oh yeah, you just get on Facebook and you get some likes and it's just free advertising. And then all of a sudden yeah. that train was over. Exactly. So, which is why we haven't, you know, if you look at our Facebook page, there is, it's almost a lazy effort on our part. Like we don't, we don't put anything into the Facebook page. And now that Instagram, um, has done this, it's like, you know, our focus on Instagram has kind of diminished as well because our hub is really the website and, and the email list. Right. And you hear it time and time again. It's like the money is in the email list. And, you know, I tell it to all these kind of new e-commerce stores, you know, that are, fr you know, that are my friends that I'm, you know, I try to give them little words of wisdom here and there. And, you know, I certainly didn't invent it, but, uh, I'm happy to pass it along. Um, and it's so true because now that Instagram's kind of, now that that spoke's broken and, you know, there, there will be something else that comes in to, to fill its place, I'm sure, or, you know, whatever the next latest and greatest is, you know, we'll, we'll focus on it and we'll ride that wave until it makes sense to, to move on to something else. But like, I've always got that email list and, uh, and that's, you know, nobody can ever take that away. Whereas Instagram or Facebook, man, if you don't, if they don't like your content or you offend too many people or whatever, at the flick of a keystroke, um, they can shut you down. And so, that's the same. Yeah. And the, the same disadvantage, uh, is true for other sales channels like, uh, Amazon, you don't own the email list. So it's real like you can make a one-time sale and people leave your review, but you can't market to those people after that. Oh, I didn't know that. So I get that, that makes sense. Like I have like <clears throat> several of my clients are very successful Amazon people 
and they're desperate to get an equally successful Shopify store going because they know like, hey, I, Amazon could shut, like, we violate policy. They could shut us down at any time. And we really have no, like, there's no way to add, um, uh, like, customer lifetime value because you can't talk to them. Right. So how many, look, like, I'm clicking through your store right now. Uh, it's violentlittle.com so people can follow along. Um, and it seems like it's, it is predominantly morale patches. That's, those are your best sellers, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got the best margin. Um, which is and, interesting because you know, it's yeah. a it's a relatively inexpensive product. You know, it's like eight to ten bucks for a morale patch. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a perfect storm of of why morale patches make sense. And I kind of, you know, I wish I I wish I can say that I had the vision uh, to really you know identify it and like and select that as my niche. But you know, the truth is, in looking back at it. Um, you know, you look at the product. So my aluminum products, right? Those each took, you know, six months to a year from like from concept to finished product that I could sell, and you know, thousands of dollars. And you, you know, it's the the, the product development cycle is so much longer. Whereas with patches, I can come up with ten new patches a day if I want. Basically, all we have to do is get drunk. <laughs> start start bullsh- start bullshitting with each other and you know come up with a funny movie quote or you know a funny saying from from our military days and it's like boom patch sell it ship it and, and that's kind of what i love about it like scrolling through the patches you have this sense that these are like i don't know they're just they seem like fun inside jokes exactly and it's <clears throat> you know it's just kind of it's us right so it's like it's you know, it's all our friends, and it's like it's how we are. But you know, the the intersection is there's a lot of other people that are kind of in that space and in that mentality, so it resonates with them. Um, and you know, we just got lucky enough to where there were enough of those people to be able to make it financially or economically feasible. So, how many products do you have total? You know, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> we've got so we we just. We can talk about this, um, but we just ended up. So we in February we brought all of our inventory to a three PL fulfillment center. Okay, and we just ended up bringing it back about a month ago. Why was that? Um, you know, it took so much soul out of the business. A lot of what we do is, and our process. I don't know, man. It, it just, you know, we go downstairs and, you know, if you need to grab a patch to take a photo of it, it's right there. And you can see, you know, you can just go downstairs and like go through the aisles of bins and be like, what haven't we, you know, marketed in a while or shot in a while or, you know, when people would come to the shop, like we don't really do a lot of drop-ins and we live in a very small town. So it's, you know, it's even smaller, but when people come to the shop or like, you know, some of my, uh, some of my employees, they'll like, you know, their families are in town visiting. They, they want to bring them to see like where we work or like, you know, some military guys come into town and train. Um, they would come to the shop and it was like, we had all these empty racks of, of shelves and, uh, they were like, this is it. And we were just kind of, you know, (laughs) sheepishly, we were like, yeah, it's all, you know, all of our inventory is in Boise. And, you know, for the longest time you try to sell yourself like, oh, it's so much better this way. Uh, but to tell you the truth, it, you know, other than it it wasn't, it, 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 it just took kind of the, 
the mojo out of our business. It felt like, um, and now that it's back, you know, it's, there's just a different energy in the shop and, and it affects everybody. Um, why do you think that is? I don't know, man. It's just one of those intangibles. It's like when you can hold the product and, you know, if we have a huge launch day and sometimes, you know, hundred to 200 orders go out, it's, you know, everybody feels really proud. And, um, you know, when you can actually hold bins of orders in your hand and you go to the post office and the post office lady, you know, gives you this look like, Oh my God, you are just (laughs) killing me today. It just, it it kind of all comes full circle and it feels really good. It's like, you, you know, you're having an impact. We're actually the biggest shipper in our town. Um, you know, which I'm kind of proud of, you know, nobody yeah. sends, sen- nobody sends more products through the post office than we do, uh, in our, in our little town. Granted, we're, you know, we're a small fish in a small town. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's little things like that, that feel really good that are, you know, that as an entrepreneur, you're like, well, you know, this is pretty cool three years into it and we're the biggest shipper here. And then what's even cooler is my, um, so I'll call him my protege. I've never really had a protege before, but uh, he was an employee of mine who who got out of the SEAL teams, uh, had an, had a insanely successful career in the SEAL teams, did his 20 years, retired, moved to Sun Valley because all he wanted to do was ski and, uh, you know, was figuring out what his next move in life was going to be. And he um, he came and worked for me for about six months, and I just basically – taught him everything I knew about e-commerce and manufacturing. And, um, he basically has the same type of business that I do, although he's a little bit more apparel centric. Uh, but he does have patches and it's a really cool business and it just kind of took off. Um, and he's, and it's doing really well for him. Well, and well he, let's, let's plug it. What's the site? Yeah. It's 30 seconds out.com and you 30 seconds out.com the 30, uh, instead of using the numeric. Yeah. All spelled out. And, um, you know, super cool stuff. And he, uh, he was the second biggest shipper in the, in, t- <laughs> in town, which is, which is pretty fun for, um, you know, for him. And, and it's fun for me to see that. Cause I like to see my friends succeed. That is good. So and you got, it, um, you were able to just, you know, by, by bringing him on essentially as an intern or protege, teaching him everything you knew, he was able to build a successful business similar to yours. You helped him out. You know, do you get um, beyond the obvious, like, altruistic benefit where you're proud of him and you're happy to have helped your friends pull themselves up? Uh, do you, has anything else come out of it that, that's helped you? He did a lot of good work for me, uh, you know, when he was when he was working for us. Um, and, and it kind of helped us refine our voice and our style. And he's, you know, he's had his lasting impact on that. Um, financially I, I deal his products. So I will sell his products through my website. And so he gives me dealer pricing and some of his products are my best sellers. Yeah. I think one of his patches, um, the heavy days patch was, uh, my fourth best seller last year. And so, you know, just right there that, you know, my investment into him and, you know, everything gets paid back, like, you know, right there. And then, and then, you know, and then I'm, I'm one of his best customers. So it works out for him too. It's like everyone's making money. Before we continue, I wanted to share a quick tip from our sponsor, Referral Candy. Find out what's working, then do more of that. 
So look at your top sales channels and then double down. That's the 80-20 rule in action. For many stores, word of mouth is a top channel, but how do you double down on word of mouth? Check out Referral Candy. They increase word of mouth sales by giving your store a refer a friend program, and they're giving you guys 50 bucks to get started with it. Just go to kurtelster.com slash referral candy to get started. I think too often people have, you know, this attitude that like, oh, I, I can't let people steal my business and they're, I'm going to have all this competition. And no, like I freely help other Shopify agency owners and it has worked really well for me because we get like, they'll have a lead that they know would be a better fit for me um, than them and they'll refer to me and vice versa. So by helping other people out, like it pays off in the long run. Oh yeah. You know, I, there's a book, uh, rework that I would recommend everybody read it. It's just mind blowing. It's a really easy read. Whenever I'm done with it, I just start at the very beginning. I think I'm like through, through my, I think I'm on my third or fourth time through it. Um, but actually Sean who owns 30 seconds out gave me that book for my birthday one year. And, uh, um, and in that book, it just talks about, you know, don't be this closed book you know, open, open it up, like show, you know, it ends up like paying for itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I think it's um, great. like, so as an example of that, um, I posted, I made a blog post, uh, that had our, I'm just pulling it up right here just to make sure that I don't get it wrong, but it was the, our top 10 list of best selling morale patches for 2015. And I, li- I basically listed, um, you know, I, I, I did like a little countdown, like ten, nine, eight, seven, six of our morale patches and I told I, I, I actually listed my numbers out of how many of those patches we sold in two thousand fifteen. So like our best seller, um or here I'll, in the case of Sean's patch the that I sell, the heavy days morale patch, I wrote that we sold seven hundred and twenty eight of them in two thousand fifteen. Now I didn't put the number of rev you know, the revenue number but it doesn't take a genius to multiply 728 by 10, you know, by $10, um, which is, you know, what that patch made us, uh, you know, that year. Yeah, and you've got tons of patches. Um, so, yeah, yeah and speaking of revenue numbers, and we're not going to reveal anyone's revenue numbers, you've done an incredible job. Um, like, you're, you're really doing very good. What, um, uh, how'd you get there? Like, what's, what? marketing channel, if someone was starting a store today, what marketing channels would you encourage them to, to go after? Or strategies, tactics, what works? Yeah, you know, uh, honestly, I kind of look around, I'm like, I don't know. How, I'm like, sometimes this is crazy. You know, it's crazy. I'm like, I don't even know how this happened. Like, it almost feels surreal that, you know, I'm finally achieving the success that I, you know, had chased for so long. And, uh, well, and the it's, fact- it's stacking the bricks because it like nothing ever happens overnight. It's just you're right. One day you just look around and you're like, wait, what? How did I get here? When did this yeah. happen? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there was a there was a point in time, um, you know, obviously not too long ago since we're only three years old, where I remember driving home and I um, I just I glanced at my Shopify real quick, the numbers for the day, and it was like three hundred and fifty dollars. And at the time, I was just a, a one-man shop, right? So I, I, my overhead was was super low. And I just thought to myself, I was like, man, if I could just do $350 a day and I multiplied it by 365, and I was just like, geez, if I could just do $350 a day, I'd be set. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I was just psyched. And, you know, nowadays that would be that would be a travesty of a sales day. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a catastrophe. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, I, we just got here by, you know, like I said, that it took like those those first couple patches to see, you know, what what this business could be or what the potential of it was. And um, the margins were there and we just kind of started building you know, patch by patch, uh, property by property. I mean, I look at it as kind of like a real estate portfolio. Like if you've ever read rich dad, poor dad, where he talks about like buying, buying apartments and stuff like it's, it's basically the same concept. Each patch, you know, you get the art, you you do the, you get the art done and you make a patch. And even like my worst selling patches, you know, if you look at it on a, like kind of a, a return basis, like percentage wise, um, great return for the capital invested. And I look at each patch as kind of like an apartment. I'm like, okay, I can, I could make a pat, you know, say you bought an apartment and you, you know, you get a mortgage and you get a renter in there and property management and all said and done, you know, you're netting $200 a month. Um, you know, you know, I do that on some of my worst patches and it's great. You know, I'm yeah. like, I look at each patch as like an apartment. And we have 400 patches. I'm like, I got 400 apartments that are like, you know, making money. Some of them are, some of them are, are boardwalk and park place. And some of the other ones are Baltic and uh, Mediterranean or whatever. You know. <laughs> so um, recapping, it sounds like, you know, you, you knew what you wanted to do. You knew the, the roughly, you knew the audience. And then you had a friend come to you say, Hey, you've got this laser. Can we make, can we make this patch? And, you know, you had the, uh, you had the wherewithal to recognize this opportunity for what it was and then start building on it with more, you know, by coming out with a line of patches and building on it and building on it. Um, and then, uh, keeping, keeping overhead low. And what's great about this idea is the, what I love about it is your product development cost is so low. It's very easy for you to just say, I got an idea. Let's try it. Does it sell? Okay, cool. We'll do something similar. Um, and just keep moving on down that path. Exactly. And it's, you know, I always go back to like the voice in quotation marks. Um, and it all comes down to the voice and it's like, and tell me about that. Yeah. You absolutely have, there's a very specific, clear brand voice here. Talk to me about it. Well, so I, um, you know, to be full disclosure, I, I was never a Navy SEAL. I went to buds and I made it all the way to hell week and I quit in hell week. Uh, but, you know, all my best friends made it and we all lived together after they, you know, when they went into the teams, we all lived together in Virginia Beach. And so I kind of got adopted by the community, even though I was never mm. officially a SEAL or, you know, other than my involvement at BUDS, which is that's the qualification school that you go to to be a SEAL. Right. Um, I got adopted by the community, um, you know, by virtue of who I was friends with and, uh, you know, which which was awesome. So I got to you know, I got to just kind of, you know, live with them and, you know, we, you know, we're all, we're all bros. So it's like, there's no different, you know, there's no difference. I, I even got to go, you know, work out with them on base in their team building and, um, you know, on their obstacle course. And it was just like, it was basically like, uh, you know, obviously I was not a Navy SEAL, but it was, I got to do all the Navy SEAL things without having to actually go into work. So being part of this like kind of military community, uh, 
you know, they joke a certain way and they talk about certain things and, you know, it's super humorous and, you know, very dark humor. It's, it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot of gallows humor. Yeah. And it's, you know, the way the, the way that these guys talk about death and, and deal with death, you know, whether it's enemies or, you know, watching their friends die or get killed, um, is, you know, is probably enough to make, you know, a regular civilian's stomach turn. Um, but that's just one of their, that's, that's their mechanism for being, for operating in that space. So, well, anyways, it was just like, I got, I, you know, my, my finger was on the pulse with that, um, you know, and, and just kind of the military community. And that's just kind of what we transitioned or, you know, when I started coming out with my own stuff, it was like, that was my frame of reference to, you know, of what was funny and, and or what was interesting. And I had, you know, a direct pipeline into, into that community. So it it just made sense to, you know, push stuff that way. Um, I mean, you know, now we're a lot more broad, like we're not a brand that's like, you know, just for Navy SEALs. I mean, they probably represent a very small percentage of our business. Um, it's for the general kind of military tactical, um, law enforcement, uh, you know, even the gun, just a regular gun enthusiast, um, for those kind of four markets, um, we, we, we're pretty good at serving all those people. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, I normally tell everybody, you're like, you got a niche down, niche down, niche down. And really like a lot of this stuff has a, a broader appeal to it. I, my favorite patch right now scrolling through it is, uh, uh, there is no Dana, only Zool. It's just this great <laughs> Ghostbusters patch. Like that would have that's got a like a perfectly broad appeal. Um, yeah, you know, to to folks that are into the original Ghostbusters, right? And you know, some of these some of these are, uh, you know, you look. I'm I'm 34 years old, and you know, regular mil or you know, military is pretty young. Um, it's usually you know, kids 18 to 25. Uh, the majority of, you know, the enlisted force and it's, um, you know, some of these references are lost on them. So it's, you know, it's funny. You can basically do anything and, and you just, you throw it out there and you see how it flies. So if you, if you had to do it over again, what would you have done? What's one thing you would have done differently or, or gone back in time and told, I just wish I would have started sooner. Um, I kind of look back at, so when I was in college, um, these e-commerce platforms like Shopify and Volusion and, you know, all this stuff, uh, for, you know, all these, all these great resources that I use today to, to run my business. Um, they weren't really around back then. And, uh, you know, when I started college, I, you know, I had dial up internet service and, you know, my first college that I went to, it was, um, you know, the game has totally changed. So looking back at kind of my collegiate career, you know, the real learning that I did came after college. Like everything that has kind of made Violent Little Machine Shop successful uh, was was work that I did after college. So I kind of look back at college and I'm like, man, I wasted all that time there. And um, so, I mean, I, I guess it would have been, you know, I wish, I wish the resources that are available now were, were available back then. I mean, there was no YouTube back then when I, when I first started, it, it had just kind of come out. Right. And, uh, 
you know, but nowadays you can basically learn anything at your own pace um, through either a combination of blogs, YouTube, forums, uh, you know, just the amount of videos uh, that these companies like Shopify or Clavio put out that explain how to use their product and what it does. Like it's the treasure trove of information is just, you know, insane. Um, yeah, no, there is so much stuff out there. It is impossible to keep up with it. Um, it's just like a fire hose of actionable, valuable content. And that's, that's great. I mean, the hard part now isn't finding it. It's finding the good stuff. Right. That Shopify blog is, is pretty damn amazing. Um, what uh, do you have any other like go to resources? Well, if you haven't read the Four Hour Work Week, uh, I would totally recommend uh, to your re- to your listeners that they read that. Um, I read that. I swear that I've read it. I loved it. Uh, there's some good practical stuff in there. Um, but I've got like probably half of the people I talk to mention mm-hmm. the Four Hour Work Week. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know some of the resources in there might be out outdated, but the principle of time. And, and being able to recognize, you know, that time truly is your most valuable asset. And it's hard to, it's hard to figure that out until like, until you have a business that really starts demanding a lot of your time. Um, but the sooner you can kind of train yourself to value time, uh, as your most valuable asset, even, even before you really have a, a true time crunch on you, then I think that's I think that's the biggest investment somebody can make in themselves. Because um, when you start multiplying, when you start figuring out ways to multiply your time or to save time or to use your time more efficiently, that's when, you know, in the case of Violent Little, that's when Violent Little started, um, you know, going on this hockey stick uh, growth curve, and it was, you know, I, and I could tell exactly, you know, what happened, why it happened, and. And it was as a result of me valuing time a lot more than than me, um, you know, just trying to get the job done, you know, on the cheap or something like that. How much of of your success or entrepreneurial success in general do you think is mindset? Just how you view the world? I'd say all of it now. Um, you know, there's this. I feel like I feel like this country. You know, you hear it in, in these like I'm not going to make this political, but you hear it in like all the political speeches, and you know, it's like jobs and and this or that, and I'm just like, why are all these people? I, I mean, I I understand it, but like in my head, I'm like, you know, I'm like, why are all these people talking about like getting jobs and like, oh, let's bring all the high paint or like let's bring the jobs back and creating jobs and like to me, I'm like. You know, I'm all over here. I'm like, create your own job. Like, that's the only way to really, you know, that's the only way to really attain wealth um, and and freedom of time. You know, which is which is the biggest. Yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't. The trade wealth for anything. is, you know, you know, I tell everybody, I tell all my employees, like, and I bring them in with a specific intention of like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do this so that you can do it for yourself. And like, and I'm teaching them that mindset. Like, the whole goal isn't like, okay, you're going to work for me forever. The, I, I, I'm like, if you're here for longer than a year, like you're wasting your time, like you're doing something wrong, you know? I, so, so that's like my mindset. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you need to have like the true, the true goal of life is to be able to live life on your own terms. And that's being able to dictate what you do with your time. 
and wealth helps you obtain, you know, attain that because you don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to work for somebody else, which allows you to, to do whatever it is you want to do with your time. So like a, a site like, like mine, for example, like I, you know, I wasn't insanely into patches before I started it. I, I really am now. Um, but I wasn't passionate about patches. Like I just saw it as an opportunity and now I, now I truly am. So I kind of like grew into that passion, but what it's allowed me to do, you know, maybe if I weren't passionate about it, it still would have afforded me the opportunity to folk, to do whatever I wanted to do now that I was passionate about. So say I wanted to, um, say I wanted to just make the best roast beef sandwiches in the world. Like I can do that now. <laughs> Like I have the ability to do that now. Every day I could just make roast beef sandwiches. I, I really do like roast beef sandwiches, by the way. But you know, <laughs> but you can't do that if you don't have that financial and time, um, you know, system and component lockdown. Yeah, yeah. You've built. You know, at the end of the day, you've built a once. You know, you could keep the business going, but if you can, you know delegate more and more of the stuff that you would have to do normally get things on autopilot you know with marketing automation um and get it into a, a very consistent profitable flow then yeah like you could you could go continue to grow that business or you could just go spend time with your family exactly. start a hobby i mean my, you know my you're right it's, the, this it's really funny cuz you know i live in a really active town like everybody's skiing and mountain biking and like Everyone goes, yeah, you know, I call my friends. I'm like, hey, man, like, you want to have lunch today? And they're like, oh, I'm going on this mount, uh, going on this ride. And they, like, go biking for, like, an hour and a half. And they work, you know, they, uh, one, of, one of them, like, works at a bank, just to use an example. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Like, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, I'm like, well, what's my hobby? And I, and I have hobbies. I play soccer and I play hockey um, in my town. But, like, honestly, my hobby, like, what I want to do during my lunch hour is work on my business. Like, that's like, it's like my hobby and it's weird. It's kind of like the entrepreneur's curse. All my friends have like these like cool hobbies that they do. And like my challenge is like, I'm trying to, I'm like, I wish I loved something that much, but like what I love is like working on my business and like create, you know, creating this thing. Um, and so I'm trying, but I do recognize the need for like separation of, uh, you know, of church and state, if you will. So I'm like, I'm trying to find other outlets, um, you know, to be, to, to, to work on and, and to, you know, that interests me. I, uh, no, I, I have the same issue and it's, it's so extreme. I now leave my laptop at the office so that I don't have a computer in the house. Yes. I, uh, I, I agree with, <laughs> I, force myself yeah, to have I totally another outlet. I agree with this. I mean, I, I try to, you know, I, I, um, I try to be present with whatever it is that I'm doing. So if I'm with my fiance, like I'm with my fiance or if I'm at dinner, like I'll leave the phone at home and it's great. It's, um, there's not that temptation to check Shopify or Instagram or, you know, it's, it's great. And then that's, that's the entrepreneur's dilemma. It's like you want to, but, um, yeah. You know, I, and I think that'll become, I think that'll even become more clear, you know, when, when we start to have a family and, uh, you know, I, 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 no, I hope it totally realigns, you know, my priorities and, and my interests. Yeah, no, it, well, for me anyway, it did, it, yeah. it really did change. And I like, I didn't even, I noticed it, but I didn't notice it 
too much, but other people are like, oh, right. you're so different. So, yeah, no, it changes you. Um, well, Yona, I won't take up any more of your time. This has been enlightening. You've said it all. Where could people go to learn more about you and get themselves fantastic? Yeah, so our website pages? is violentlittle.com. And then our Instagram is at violentlittle. Okay. So to our – well, uh, Yon, thank you for joining us. Uh, and to, to our listeners, you can always learn more about this by joining our Facebook group. I got a Facebook group. Just search unofficial Shopify podcast. Uh, it'll pop up. Click join. I'll add you. Um, and then you'll be notified when this stuff comes up. Sometimes I post special offers or bonus episodes in there. Um, but really, it's a, a good place to ask questions um, and, and discuss the episodes. Or, of course, subscribe in iTunes. And while you're there, leave me a review. And I promise I will be your best friend forever if you do. Anyway, see you guys next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.